0: Welcome to the Sounder at Heart podcast. I am Jeremiah O'Shan and joining me today is Taylor Graham of the Seattle Sounders. Is it? I I, I I should I should have better notes here, but is it VP of Business Operations? Uh,
1: you know, it, it, I I don't. I'm Taylor Graham of the Sounders. I don't Taylor like that. of
0: the Sounders, okay. Yeah,
1: I'm just that. I'm just that guy who loves the Sounders, just like you. I am a fan
0: of, who of to get paid brand. the team. Yeah, and we used to play. So. The reason I have you on is it's today is the anniversary, the, uh, I guess, 12-year anniversary of the first-ever Sounders MLS game. Uh, it was a 3-0 win against the New York Red Bulls, March 18, 2009. We are going to get to that game, but part of my vision for this series, this day in history series a little bit, is to dig a little bit into the story behind that and to kind of bring us to that point and use that point as, kind of a crescendo to the, to the story. And I thought you would be a really interesting person to tell this story because you were, you, you didn't just get to Seattle in 2009 and kind of ride this this adventure all the way to the top. You were here during the USL days, you were here, you, you won two titles with the USL team, 2005, 2007. Which, what happened between those years, 2005 and 2007?
1: 2005, we won the championship uh, in penalty kicks against Richmond. 2006, the team didn't qualify for the playoffs. Huh. Uh, Were you there in 2006? I was not. I was in New York. I actually, so after 2005, I signed for the Metro Stars. And then in preseason, we were in Los Angeles and we all got notified that the team was sold to uh, to Red Bull. And so we rebranded about four weeks before the season even started from the Metro Stars to the Red Bulls. Um, That was 2006. And I was there 2007 for the first half of 2007. And then um, on J- in July, I actually returned mid-season back to Brian and Adrian and the guys. Um, and we put together actually a pretty, uh, pretty solid run in league. We won the, the equivalent of the Supporter Shield in USL. We made a really good run in the Open Cup.
0: Um, you went to a, and- a semifinal
1: semifinal uh, lost in you know extra time overtime carlos ruiz at home to dallas um, but then we actually won the championship in 2007 um, atlanta i think we 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 got him pretty good i think it was 4-0 at starfire
0: yeah yeah that was i i've seen videos of that and in 2008 was kind of so i i think it makes sense kind of to start this story in 2008 because 2008 was when the mls the, the journey to MLS got started, uh, officially. What was the, what was the, at the end of 2007, I, I, I had that right. Correct. 2008 is when that was all announced at the end of 2007. Did, did the team know that MLS was a real possibility at that point, or is that not something that was really on the radar?
1: So yeah, it, it actually started, there was a sequence of events where from from the midsummer to the end of the year in, in, in the USL in 2007, we went on an unbeaten match streak of, of up to 20. It was, it was honestly one of the most um, fun runs I was a part of as a player. And we ended up uh, hosting the championship, winning the championship home and uh, at home at Starfire in front of our fans. And then right afterwards, uh, the Major League Soccer franchise was announced. So we went from the championship to this it's coming, it's coming and it's coming in 14, 16 months to start 2009. And so there was a huge amount of excitement, but also kind of concern because at that time there was still some question. Uh, this would be a great question for Adrian at some point, whether they wanted to to stop the USL team and not play in 2008 and just focus on the launch of major league soccer in 2009, or whether it made sense from a soccer and a brand and a business perspective to go from 2007 into 2008 and start into 2009. Um, they, they decided, obviously, to, to stay as the Sounders in 2008, compete in USL. But it was a challenging year for a couple of reasons. One, as much as you focus on each practice, each match, there was always this eye on Major League Soccer. Um, you know, Sebastian Latou was the first player. Uh, you know, he was actually signed to a Major League Soccer contract while competing in the USL in 2008. So you had players who were on a USL team, um, but were were focused on the future, not necessarily at the detriment of the present, but it, it, it kind of just shifted perspective because this big shiny thing was coming um, and everyone really wanted to get there.
0: And if I remember correctly, Roger Levesque, uh, the very famous Roger Levesque, he actually played for the Timbers briefly. Like, and that speaks to the, the, uh, the unsureness of what was going on with the Sounders is I think you played a, some preseason games with the Timbers in, in 2008, right? Before 2008.
1: Yes. Yeah, so in 2000, uh, in the off season between 2007 and 2008, actually Roger and I went up for a month and actually played with the white caps. Okay. We played, uh, we played when David Beckham came to town and we played at BC place in front of 50,000 people. Um, uh, everyone, if you 're curious, go look at the the Vancouver Whitecaps two thousand and eight uh, streaker and type in David Beckham because this streaker ran across the field and David got the ball in the right wing and actually tried to uh, hit the guy from thirty yards away and it missed the side of his, his ear by like three seconds um, it 's great great uh, user UGC online you can find so we both played in Vancouver a little bit just to train and have fun and get to know the city. Roger actually went down and played with the Timbers against, uh, uh, Toronto FC. Um, and there was some awesome fan interactions between Roger and the Timbers faithful, whatever you call them. Um, yeah. So that was an interim period where people were kind of just exploring what the future of soccer looked like. And, um, we, we all came back, you know, Zach, Roger, myself, Layton. I mean, you can go through the whole line of Danny Jackson, um Kevin Sekuda, um, Kenji Treshik, um Hugo Alcaraz, Koyar, like a bunch of guys. We all came back um because we all wanted we believed in the group, we believed in the city, we believed in the 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 organization, and we ultimately were 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 hungry to try to get to this this next iteration of Major League Soccer.
0: And so at what point did you get a sense that okay, something because when you were playing in the in the USL day in like those two thousand seven, two thousand five, two thousand seven, it there was something like there was a fan base here. It you know there were some good crowds, but it wasn't it it wasn't, you know what some of these top USL teams are drawing now, where they're drawing 10 ten fifteen thousand every game. Yeah, and the story that always gets told is when the fan when they started opening ticket sales for the Sounders like. Originally they were, I think, just planning on having the lower bowl and it was going to be like an 18,000 capacity and they were going to kind of just see how it went. And then they just kind of blazed past that. At what point does that all happen? And is that happening during
1: the season in 2008? I don't I don't remember it being that way. I know that in 2008 there was a handful of matches, especially as in a run in the Open Cup, where we beat some really good Major League Soccer sides. Um, I... Need to go back and remember whether it's 2007 or 2008 you know we got we we played the rapids at home and we beat them like five nil um and it was one of those things again that's the the um the underdog mentality of usl playing against mls um and so it's always easy to get up for those matches but i don't remember the true um the true scale of interest from a ticket perspective, really coming and, and making news from the player's perspective until preseason of 2009. I remember in, in Los Angeles was the first phase of our preseason in 2009 when Todd Lewicki and Drew and Joe and Adrian at a dinner specifically gave an update to the group. We had just played our first, um, our first match against LA Galaxy at, um, at the Home Depot Center at the time. Um, and we all went to a really nice dinner that night. I think um, Gas wrote about it in his book. Um, and that's when they announced that this thing was, was really taken off and that they had already sold you know, 20,000 20, plus tickets, uh, season tickets, consistent tickets, not just for the home opener or the inaugural match, but this consistent support. Um, I look honestly, Jeremiah, at that day uh, from a bunch, of, a bunch of different perspectives, it was this first kind of aha moment about what this thing could really be. And uh, it was also the day uh, I didn't know it at the time, I broke my foot in that game um, and didn't realize it for for three or four weeks until we played Vancouver at home in a game. I played that game and afterwards, uh, you know, I talked to Dr. Morris and found out I had broke my foot in that LA game. And um, for me personally, that was one of the things that really uh, set me back in terms of trying to, to do what I wanted to do, which was, which was play. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's, you know, from the team and the brand and the organizational perspective, like that was the first time I remember talking about the scale of what this thing could become.
0: And so what was the feeling among players? Like, even if you didn't know that it was going to be this kind of like new standard setting situation that you were going into with MLS it was still a step up from obviously from USL to MLS and most players goal obviously is to get to the highest level that they can get to what was the the kind of and, and it seemed like at least from the outside that there was this competition for spots among the USL players and and I know uh Sebastian Latou had been signed already to uh, to an MLS contract I want to say San and Yasi was playing on that team, and he was already playing on an MLS contract too, if I remember. But what was the the thinking among like kind of the the regular USL guys who were like really like having to win a spot on that team?
1: Yeah, it was it was different for every guy, and um, Seba and Santa had contracts uh, in 2008 for Major League Soccer, Um, if I remember correctly. Myself and Chris Islander um, were fortunate enough to be able to sign a major league soccer contract before preseason started. Mm. So we came in with a little bit more stability. And then there was a bunch of guys who uh, were with a part of the group and it lasted for in different stages. So the first stage was a VMAC and um, and their first week of fitness and training, you know, and then, you know, Zig and Brian and the team kind of scaled down some of those, those, those individuals. Then there was another roster constriction kind of at the end of phase one of your first remote camp, which was in L.A. Um, and then the guys that were there that, for that final moment, um, you know, Zach and Roger, I believe they signed their final MLS contract the Thursday before the Sunday home opener. Right. So it was, it was two, three, four, five days, no more, um, before they actually had pen to paper and were officially signed. And Zach started. Zach started that inaugural match.
0: At left back, yeah. is that
1: right? Yeah, he did. Um, and so James was at right and, and Zach was at left. And so you think about um, Zach in just the emotions of that week in particular – um it's just so exemplary of who he is and uh and being mr sounder
0: and so was there was, was there like how many players from that 2008 usl team actually even made it to the beginning of training camp in 2009
1: there was probably 12 that started okay. um uh, I'd, I'd have to go back and count you know the guys that i remember um just looking to my right and looking to my left who are incredible soccer players um uh, the Kevin Sakutas, the the Danny Jacksons, the Layton O'Briens, um, the guys that were right there till the very end, um, they you know they they were the ones who probably were the last ones out, um, and that was tough. Um, these were our these were our friends. Uh, these were the people that we won championships with and battled with, um, and were fans of and enjoyed playing with. Um, and I think it was it was challenging because of the personal relationships we had the, with those guys. Um, but everyone understood that we were all trying to accomplish the same thing, which was just to, to see if we can you know, keep this keep it going and see if you could find a, a spot on the roster.
0: And so you come into that you, you come into the to the to the stadium. I, I guess you' you know you're, you're probably anticipating this. As much as you, there's been some decent crowds at CenturyLink uh, through the years at Quest, through the years when you were uh, when you were playing in, in the USL, but nothing like what showed up on on March 18th, 2009. I mean, what was that like for you, having played in that stadium where sometimes it was virtually empty, and to see it full like that? I mean, that must have been pretty pretty amazing.
1: It was the best and the worst thing at the same time. And what I mean by that is uh, it was so special to see the way that the community mobilized for this thing that was still really undefined. Um, and those moments that took place on uh, on March 18th, 2009, we will never forget. When people say like, I will never forget that moment, we will literally never forget that moment. Um, what I mean by uh, it being really tough was that uh, I had the most, I had the biggest FOMO because I was up in the press box and I was watching in street clothes um, and was hurt. And I just wanted so much to be down there and be a part of this. And I remember talking to Grant Clark, the team admin, and said, What do you mean we can't sit down there with the team and be a part of this team, right? There are completely different competition rules in terms of who's allowed in the technical area and how many people can be there. And I just wanted to be down there and to feel it and to hear it and to share it. Um, and so, uh, it was, it was, it was an an acknowledgement that this thing was bigger, you know, than it had been because before we all sat on the bench next to each other, whether you were injured or dressing or not dressing as part of the USL and you were, you know, that cohesive team they from a competition standpoint, that looked differently at Major League Soccer. So um, when Roger came on uh, at the end of the game and got his uh, couple moments, again that was pretty special for me and for our relationship going back to to our college days. Um, but as soon as that whistle blew, I mean, we were in the corner and we, we ran on the field just to just to um, just to soak up as much as we could, literally just to be a sponge because. Uh, look, I'll say the exact same thing I started. Like I just am, I'm a soccer nerd. I'm a Sounders nerd, just like everybody else that might be listening to this. And that was special for me from a, from a fan perspective and just someone that's a part of this giant Sounders family ecosystem.
0: Yeah. And it, and you know, I'm, I was reminded of I just kind of went and looked at this and in that most of your your playing time with the Sounders after the move to MLS was in Open Cup and I I guess this was a I remember having a conversation with you uh, probably must have been 2010 or something like that after an Open Cup game and I remember asking you something like well you must have known this was always kind of coming because it you guys were so successful and and you said something like no 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 actually all of, like we were successful and that was great but, like, all this other stuff, completely unexpected. It was very, a very different world we were living in, in 2007, 2005. Like, those were very different. Like, the way the team operated was a very different scale than what you guys were doing in 2009, 2010. Uh, and and so to, to be able to take that ride and to go from really – I mean, like, the Sounders were a real USL team. It wasn't like they were a USL team that was, like – Staging for MLS. I, if I'm, if I'm, like putting words in your mouth, it was they were a real USL team that then made a jump and were something completely different uh, from a, like a spectacle perspective. But they were, still kept that core.
1: They were completely different from the spectacle perspective. Like the is you know, the organizations were very different. And what I mean by that is, um, when I joined the Sounders in 2005, we, uh, we we wore whatever we wanted to for training, right? Like we wore whatever we wanted to. There was no locker room. You showed up at Starfire and guys just played and they played hard. And it, you know, even some of the amenities that college programs had in when I was in college, um, the USL team did not have in 2005. And so I remember coming here and saying, what did I just sign up for? Um, and, and I, it took me probably about two days to realize that the group that Brian and Adrian comprise were the most professional group of individuals I had actually been a part of even across every professional team I had been with because the mentality and their perspective and their level of preparation and the level of heart was so good that while the organizations were fundamentally different between USL and the MLS, the soul of this club is the same. The soul of the USL was the same soul that started in 2009 that really was unleashed on March 18th. And the soul is the reason why I spend my days every single day uh, thinking about how this brand can make our community a better place. That is why I'm still working for this club is because that common denominator from 2005 to 2009 to 2020 is the soul of the Sounders. Um, and I know that's super cheesy, and some people be like, "What are you talking about?" This guy's like, "This guy's in isolation, working remotely right now." But it's not true. It's true. I I believe oh, that this soul, this thing, and so I think that is what has made this thing so successful. But in terms of the the output, like you said, the output was unexpected because it had never it hadn't been unleashed yet.
0: Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing that's so remarkable to me is just how. That 2009, like you, it's, it's, it's just kind of important, I think, sometimes to remember that like 2009 was, it it wasn't born out of thin air, but it also was something that was very new and it was very different, and in a lot of ways they weren't working on a template that uh, was already well established. Like you can say all you want, like how successful Atlanta's been, or, or how successful LAFC has been. But they are able to draw from some pretty well well groomed trails of this is how you make an MLS team work. And not to say that the Sounders were the first successful MLS team, but no one was doing it at that scale. And no one was doing it uh, for, you know, it was one thing to draw 28,000, 29,000 for one game, but to then do it all season was just unheard of.
1: Yeah. Uh, consistency, uh, excellence and consistent excellence and then consistent excellence over a long period of times. I think that's, what's, what's different is, um, you know, you're looking, you're looking back at 2009 mm-hmm. and across, I mean, this is, these weren't one-offs. This has been consistent in terms of what our fans have uh, the way our fans have shown up, the way the team performs on the field, the way that the organization continues to push and to pioneer and to try stuff, and to have success with trying stuff, um, there is no playbook. And I think that pioneering mentality is something that our community has always embraced. from a, a multi industry perspective, it's what our ownership has always embraced, and you know, it's what we like. That's what we just got to do. We live. We live in this place that's constantly pushing and finding new creative ways to to be successful. Um, And that's no different when you look at it from a sport perspective.
0: So as someone who wasn't necessarily on the field and wasn't laser focused on making this tackle and holding the offside line and doing all the things that you would be. What was it like the atmosphere in the stadium taking away the numbers, but like ECS had never been that organized before they had a section, you know, uh, they had been around since formally, I think since 2005. They were not hundreds of people strong in one section filling up the bra in like they were on two thousand and eight. I mean, what was the atmosphere in the stadium like? I would imagine you were able to kind of take that in a little bit
1: yeah it was uh it was loud it was um it was motivating um I remember the you know you think about the the sense the sensory things that I remember the the sparkle in the air from kind of the glitter um, that was on the field and that came off the the loge upstairs that that's one of the things that stands out from a, from a visual perspective um, the you know the the sound again it's not it wasn't it was loud but it was beautifully loud and it was orchestrated it was organized it wasn't just overwhelming. Um, and you know I've, I've talked about this with ECS a bunch of times. I I love Boom Boom Clap, and one of the things I love about the Boom Boom Clap is actually the silence in between the sound. And so there was this, um, from a sensory perspective, you can look back at that match and just remember so much. Um, it was yeah, it was it was something that no one had. I personally had never been a part of it before. I had played in NFL stadiums my entire. MLS career I went from Arrowhead at Kansas City to Meadowlands in in uh, with the Metrostars and the Rebels to to Quest um, CenturyLink Field and this was the first time where it felt like a coliseum mm-hmm. it felt like a fortress as opposed to um, s- scattered right
0: yeah I can imagine as uh, like you play you must have played a lot of games in in near empty NFL or what felt like near empty NFL stadiums like that was yeah. just kind of like you see these videos, though, especially of Arrowhead where there's, you can count the, the people in the stands sometimes. Um,
1: and there were, you know, our, our home, uh, our home opener for the New York Rebels in 20, 2006, uh, Chris Henderson and I played on the same team. Um, there was a lot of people there. I remember Shakira saying the national anthem and, you know, they Red Bull put some, some of their entertainment weight into making that a spectacle but it 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 didn't it it didn't uh it didn't build right. It was kind of a little bit more of a one-off right, which comes back to this kind of consistent consistency conversation.
0: Yeah. So uh, I'm curious how much you felt the result mattered in that game. I mean, clearly it was a huge success, three zero win. You know, Freddie scores, uh, Brad Evans scores. It's 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 a romp. It's it it it's like a, a celebratory thing. But do you feel like in the end, did it need to be that? Or could it have been a 0-0 tie and, and we would have probably gone on the same journey?
1: I uh, Look, I'm a competitive guy and I believe that results matter. And I think that consistent results matter. So if it was a 0-0 tie or a 2-1 win or a 1-1 draw, you know, what would have mattered was what happened next. And we went 3-0 to start that season. And so it was a – it was a statement of intent from the team, from an expectation standpoint. It was a statement of, int- of intent from ownership and from, from a coaching staff perspective. And so um, New York had just lost an MLS Cup the year prior. And uh, it was it was a statement of intent from everyone in the organization, from everyone who put together that event, to the fans that showed up, to the players, to the coaches. It was... It was a little bit of um, like, we believe in this thing and, and, and here's what it can be and can be consistently, not one-off, right? From a results perspective. So back to your question, um, did results matter? Hell yeah, results matter because we're in a results-oriented business.
0: Well, that's, that's probably a good place to end this part of it. I, I'm sure a lot of people are like me and have never actually seen this game from end to end. Uh, do you know if there's anywhere that people can actually watch this?
1: Yes, there, there is. Um, uh, I don't know when you're going to air this, but well, might soon, be out, hopefully tomorrow soon. We will uh, very, very soon we will have definitive information for fans in terms of when they can watch this from start to finish.
0: And that will probably be through Sounders FC channels. I'm guessing. Yeah. Channels.
1: We're, we're going to make sure that this is as, as wide as, as possible.
0: Well, that would be uh, awesome. I'm sure the quality of the video will be the tip-top caliber uh, that we're used to from 2009 videos, like the- We'll,
1: we'll just send it to Sounder Hard Editors and they can just-
0: Exactly, absolutely. Well, Taylor, I really appreciate you doing this, uh, telling people a, a part of this story that hopefully they haven't heard before. And uh, congratulations on, on everything that you've helped build. Uh, I remember when you first got this job. I was I, I interviewed you on on uh, No another podcast that I did, yep. and I was and and I was kind of I thought you were kind of like a brand ambassador, kind of like Brad Evans of like just a guy who's around the office, and you were like kind of offended that no, this is like a real job. This is a real job. I'm like, I'm like, this
1: is this is so to be a brand ambassador, you need to have been really good at what you did, Brian. <laughs> um and most look like you said i um i was a i was a i was an up and down guy between the you know the triple a's and major league soccer Uh, 2010 was an awesome year I, i um if you go back and look at that we played three friendlies we won the open cup and we were playing in um the fall round of ccl which was home and away so there was actually a three or four month period where we were playing saturday wednesday every week um and we got uh, you know, I think I got 13 or 14 games that year They they were just all outside MLS competition. Right. Um, and so, uh, look, I, um, this is a job, this is a job that I, um, I work every day to try to help grow the brand and the business, um, that I, look, I love Brad, but I'll be the first one to say, you are an ambassador
0: and I am not an ambassador. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been, it's been awesome. Uh, seeing you kind of rise through the organization and you've done some great work with it. And it's nice to see, uh, this, uh, seeing people like you succeeding in this organization. So it's, thank you. I I appreciate that. that. And
1: maybe over a different podcast, we'll get into the behind the scenes stories that, uh, we can tell about the, the things that we learned launching that all you saw was the final, the finished product, but there were some, there were some fun stories, uh, of key learnings that people probably don't know about. We can, we can talk about this at another time.
0: Well, dang, I, sh- I wish I had dug into that now, but we'll do that. some other That's time. called,
1: that's called a teaser.
0: Yeah. That's, that's, that's see like a U- UGCs, teasers, all kinds of good lingo. Yeah. We got here. But anyway, uh, thanks for doing this Taylor. Yep. Thanks. Um, you're listening to the sounder at heart podcast. Stay
1: safe, everyone. Thank you.